You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, sometimes you get the bear and sometimes the bear gets you, but at any rate, you're listening to David's Pick. I can't even say my own name. David's Pick this morning, and um, we have a returning guest, so we'll get into that right after we have our moment of silence in memory of all of those that have served, and we've got the big weekend coming up that will be also in memory of all of those who have served and given the ultimate sacrifice. So we'll be back with our guest right after this. And so let's get on with our cadence call, and then we'll get into our show in just a moment. to uh, promote that a little bit more is that uh, if you haven't been to it, you need to go to it. And uh, it's right across the street from the Gold Dome, the capital of Georgia, in the uh, Floyd Building. And it makes a great grandparents, great parent day outing for the kids and uh, showing them the great folks that have been honored by the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame by uh, being inducted, and they have their uh, pictures up on the wall and their stories. So be sure and put that on your list. And now let's get to our guest for the day, Mr. Alex Wright. And uh, Alex is on the line with him. Welcome back to America's Web Radio, Alex. Thanks, David. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to come back. Well, you know, if once is good, twice must be better. So uh, Alex, by the way, is a U.S. Navy veteran and uh, also a Georgia Tech graduate and uh, is a Peachtree Corner City Councilman. And that's very important because of the monument that uh, Peachtree Corner has uh, that we're going to tell you about and invite you to. And uh, special things are happening this weekend, and um, we look forward to that. And, you know, I'll just go ahead and announce it now, too. This is something totally different. But if you have a vintage military vehicle... We're going to be putting through our show called Classic Car Show. We're going to be putting together a tour, and we would invite you to let us know if you have a old Jeep, a APC, or whatever you might have vehicle-wise. We're going to uh, be putting together a very, very interesting tour, and um, we'd like to know about what you have in your garage and uh, we will uh, let you know what we've got up our sleeves, and it's going to be fun, and we're looking at doing it 
possibly on uh, Veterans Day. But anyway, with that being said, again, welcome to America's Web Radio, Alex. And uh, we want to talk today, well, let's just go briefly over what you did in the Navy and the time period that you were in. And are you a native uh, Atlantan? Uh, not not a native Atlantan. I'm, I'm a native Georgian, but uh, from a kind of a rural, little small town, maybe about an hour uh, east of Atlanta. Okay, and then uh, went to Georgia Tech. And uh, right out of Tech, did you go into the uh, Navy? Uh, so they have a uh, Navy ROTC program there, uh, and which interesting trivia uh, for you. It's one of the six original Navy ROTC units in the country that was founded in uh, or started in 1926 after World War I. They they needed you know, more capacity. You know, the you know, the fleet had gotten real big. You know, during the war, and they decided we need a way to have a, a larger pipeline of officers as, as as needed. And so they did six units across the country, and Georgia Tech was the only one in the in the South at the time. Hmm. But so a little yeah, a little interesting factoid for you. Um, but yeah, when I graduated from high school, I. There'd been a a movie that had come out right before I graduated from high school called Top Gun. You probably remember it. Oh yeah, very much yeah. so. I went. You know, this was before. You know, you could stream stuff. You know, if you want to see a movie, you had to go to the movie theater. And I went and saw that movie four times at the movie theater during that summer. I said, "That is what I want to do. I want to be. I want to be the. You know, the the guy in the white uniform at the officers club. You know, just like a great." You know, teenager. You know, yeah, that's not that was very appealing. So when I went to Tech, they had a, like I said, a Navy ROTC unit. So I signed up. Uh, and so initially, when you sign up, you're not you're, you're not committed yet. They give you a couple of years before they they kind of own you, I guess you could say. But signed up, did the the four years there, and. Uh, and at the time, this was right right when I got in, is right the Cold War had ended. And so all through the four years, they're shrinking the the fleet. Well, the whole military has been shrunk, obviously, you know, pretty dramatically. So the, net, the, the practical impact of that is it's much more competitive for when you when, – because when you're getting ready to get out, they, they give you this piece of paper nicknamed the Dream Sheet, and you and – you, write down what you want to do you know they've got all these things you fill out what i want to be an aviator or surface warfare or whatever i want to be home ported in these places and we would always joke that they would take that and then they would look at it and then they would crumple it up and throw it away and then they'd tell you what you're actually going to do <laughs> but uh, you know it didn't it didn't pan out for me to be uh, an aviator which in retrospect was probably a great thing uh, for a variety of reasons but after i graduated they my orders were to go to Newport Rhode Island for I don't know if they still have it but at the time they had a surface warfare officer training school up there and, and the in Newport that you know used to be a large base as far as ships based there but by the time I got up there it really was just a huge training facility a whole variety of schools like the war, the Naval War Colleges up there and so got shipped up there I was there for six months in the first school, like I said, a service warfare officer training school, which teaches you uh, basic, you know, navigation, you know, running a division. Okay, uh, let, let me interrupt here. you for one second. You, I know ROTC from an Army standpoint. You come out, uh, you have a, you're a second lieutenant, yep. and the same way with the Air Force. And the Navy ranking is a bit different. What do you come out after ROTC? So you are an ensign. So an ensign is equivalent to a second lieutenant, and then uh, would that be an ensign JG or? So. Uh, Lieutenant JG, or Lieutenant is JG, I'm sorry, which is equivalent to first lieutenant, and then the O3 is lieutenant, which is equivalent to captain in the other three services. So it, it, every it's all, you know, the Navy a captain, an O6 is equivalent of a colonel. So all of it's totally different, um, for whatever reason. I'm sure it dates back to you know, 
hundreds of years ago how they came up with that. Um, yeah, so I was commissioned as an ensign. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned the Air Force because we had a joint commissioning ceremony with the Army and the Air Force because they also had ROTC units there. And just to kind of give you a perspective of how much the military was shrinking at the time, I think there were three or four uh, Air Force guys that were getting commissioned because they had a, Georgia Tech at the time was on a quarter system, so they had a commissioning every three months. Hmm. And they didn't even have any, they shrunk the Air Force so much, they didn't even have any slots, like any jobs. And so they would, they gave the Air Force guys an option. They said, you can either just walk away, you don't owe any money, but just walk away and you're done. Or you can basically kind of go on standby where you're, you're not, you're not getting paid by us. And you, know, you can go do whatever you want to do and then basically check back in in a year or so and We'll see if there's any slots have opened up. Now, this was also during the midst of a recession, so it wasn't like an easy decision for people to say, well, I'm just going to walk away because there wasn't a lot of jobs either. So it had, it had shrunk that that quickly because uh, of the Cold War ending. Um, anyway, and they shipped us up there to, to Rhode Island, and it's an interesting experience because you're, you know, you're suddenly with, I think my class was like 180 guys, from all over the country every college that had a ROTC unit and I think there was probably about 60 at the time and to put that in comparison the army had probably I want to say about around 300 ROTC units so a lot more army colleges I guess you could say uh, but that was kind of the beginning of the experience of meeting people from all over the, the country with all kind of uh, varied backgrounds which not that you didn't do that at Tech, but most of those people were you know, from Georgia or nearby states. You're suddenly getting that. You know, one of the things I think makes the military great is you're you know, you're, you're thrown together with all these different kind of people, but you, you know, with this common goal. Anyway, up there at school, uh, so for 15 weeks in this one particular uh, course, which I was kind of surprised how difficult it was. They, I think, they purposely try to stress you in these schools and they had a, a thing where if you if you got below a it's either an 80 or 90 on a test they would put you on mandatory study hall which meant you had to go back into this building that you spent all your time in already and you'd be there for an additional 20 hours a week with someone like right on top of you while you were studying so they and they'd have three or four of these tests a week so it was it, it was pretty it was actually more stressful than georgia tech i find that hard to believe looking back but it was a very stressful place and then sent me on to an engineering school a steam engineering school which was up there also because uh, at the time the, the navy still had steam some of their ships were still steam powered and they had a huge plant like a, a mock-up of a, an engineering uh, space where you would learn all about tracing systems that's the way they would teach you things is Okay, we're going to learn about you know uh, the, evapor- the evaporator and all the different you know, pipes that flow into it, and you would have to basically memorize this entire plant because uh, when you're on a ship, if you're you know, standing watch as the engineering officer, and there's some type of when I say casualty, not like someone got hurt, but some piece of equipment goes down, you've got to know where everything is and how it all interconnects to be able to figure out what happened and then fix it uh, so that was also a pretty uh, stressful school so anyway they're about six months and then you graduate and depending on what ship you're going to normally they would give you some time you, know, you could take a lot of people would take 30 days leave before they'd report to their ship so i graduated in like december and so i just took 30 days off because the ship i was going to was based out of Norfolk, Virginia, uh, and they, I was supposed to report like early January, so you know, found a place to live down there with some guys, and you know, went home for Christmas, and then I can still vividly remember January 6th, 1993, walking down the pier in Norfolk, Virginia, it was like 7 a.m. in the morning, cold, dark, and I don't know if you've ever been to Norfolk, but you know, it's, the huge, it's the largest naval base in the world, and at the time, it was... I think there was probably well over 100 ships 
uh, on ported there. So these huge piers where they could get four, six, eight ships on them. Wow. Um, they think, I think about six aircraft carriers were based out of there. Hmm. Alex, we, I need to stop you there and take our first break, if you don't mind. And we'll, sure. we'll come back to uh, the number of carriers and what was going on right after this. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, and the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we always appreciate you listening to America's Web Radio and our veteran shows that we do. Uh, a veteran story yesterday. Today it's David's pick. And uh, we have a veteran, Mr. Alex Wright, <laughs> was in the Navy and was telling us uh, his story about being in the Navy and how he got from Georgia Tech to a big ship. All right. So, like I was talking about being moved to Norfolk, Virginia, ported aboard the USS El Paso, which was a amphibious, I think they actually call it an amphibious cargo ship, so not, not that, you know, I was talking about wanting to be a pilot, so that was really kind of a, you know, I look, at the time it seemed, wow, this, this is not what I had signed up for, you know, it wasn't a very glamorous, uh, you know, when I got to the ship. And that ship at the time was slated to deploy to Indian Ocean. I can remember when I called the XO, all he said was, we're going to be going somewhere hot and sandy. Now, I can't <laughs> tell you anything. Maybe you didn't know from the Persian Gulf or, or Somalia, but uh, we, so we get on board. Within a week, we leave. We went down to a place off the coast of Puerto Rico called Viegas, which is a little island, and at the time, they used it for shore bombardment practice, famous assault practice. So we were down there for probably a month practicing. It's almost like you'd see something from World War II where you know they would have these, all these put all these boats in the in the water. You know they're circling, mm-hmm. and then when the time you know when they give the green light, everyone would head towards the beach. It, it literally was. It looked like that, and this ship was. It's not like the Antips today where they got the well decks and they partially flood and the boats come out of the back. This thing had huge cranes and it would, just like the World War II boats, they would pick the, the uh, they call them Mike boats, they'd pick them up and then they'd drop them down in the water and you'd have to go over the side on a Jacob's ladder, which is, you know, like a big net to get in the Mike boat. And these things are moving up and down in the water again just like you would see on these old movies and you had to be pretty careful about it because you know if you timed your jump wrong or you know if you break a leg or get caught between the boat and the, the landing craft 
So, anyway, after a month at uh, Puerto Rico, we came back. We were supposed to be in port for about a month. But at the time, this, you know, if you remember in Somalia in late 92, they were having this famine. These warlords had taken over the country. The government had broken down. And the United States, you know, led an effort to intervene to break the famine. And our ship had been, the group we were going to be with, they had accelerated the deployment. They wanted to get some additional resources over there. So they moved up our deployment by a month. So we came back actually for three days. Basically, they said, you know, get all your affairs in order. We're heading right back out. So then we, de- we deployed. It takes about a month to get there. Uh, I think 28 days steaming nonstop. You know, you go through Stretch Gibraltar, Suez Canal. You know, we're not stopping anywhere. And then we got off the coast of Somalia, dropped anchor. And at this point, you know, they, the UN, the United States effort, they'd kind of taken over most of the you know, major cities along the coast. They had the situation under control at that time when we got there. And we were probably there back a couple months, just off the coast. We were with the, the WASP amphibious group. So they'd be like the WASP is a, almost looks like an aircraft carrier. It would carry, carry a AB-8 Harrier jets, a lot of helicopters, four ships, probably about 2,500 Marines. The Marines would be in what they called a new Marine Expeditionary Unit. You know, they had their own air assets, had some tanks, whatnot. So we were there for a few months and we actually got we went ashore at Mogadishu which was a very interesting experience because you could see at one point that it had really been a nice place. I think at one point the, the Italians had it as a colony and you could see all the really nice architecture of the city but it's since long you know, just fallen into disrepair. Mm-hmm. And they sent us south to another place called Kishmayu, which is right north of the Kenyan border. And we were down there with a group of Belgians who were part of the UN effort. And we were there for so long. What they started to do is they would rotate the naval officers ashore for a few weeks at a time to spend time with the Marines, really just to, I don't know about break the monotony, but just you know, get to see what they were doing and be embedded with them. And that was a very interesting experience because on our trip over, we were just like a big taxi for them. Hmm. And Alex, let me ask you rest- something. How long did it take you initially to get your sea legs? And then once that you once you have them, can you take off for thirty days or ninety days and still <clears throat> be in good shape when you come back? So that's to answer the first question. Usually within like a day or two. You're, you've adjusted. Um, you know, it doesn't take too long. Some people will take. I can't remember the medicine they would. You could take. You know, to help you with the with that. But most people wouldn't because it would be. You know, guys would make fun of you or whatever. If you, I mean, they have to. I'm not going to say what they repeat the terms. But, yeah. You know, there's some derogatory words they use to describe the the, the medicine for or the people who took it. But you know, usually within a day or two, you just got used to the. You know the rocking, and this ship—it wasn't small, but it's probably about twenty thousand tons. And to put that in comparison, like an aircraft carries about a hundred thousand tons, or like a destroyer might be eight. So it rode a little bit better than a you know a small boy, but it still—it uh, could get. You know, we didn't need any storms on the way over, but still, when you get out in the Atlantic, I mean, there's this—you're just constantly up and down, up and down, or sideways, and you just. It almost becomes, you know, normal, if you will, because when when you actually get off after, uh, you know, being at sea for quite a while, it, you still have that sensation for a day or two. I can remember almost falling down in the shower one time because you were you were so used to moving around, you know, that that swaying. So yeah, I guess going both ways, it's, it's like a day or two adjustment. Hmm. Um, anyway, so we we were in Somalia. Just you know, Kishmayu spent time ashore with the Marines, and then they sent us up. Had the whole thing under control, so they sent us up to the Persian Gulf uh, to be part of an operation. I think some joint exercise with one of the navies up there, and we actually went into Kuwait. And at the time, 
they still had mines in the water. They had one channel. They had, you know, this is a residual of the Gulf War. They had one channel that you could go into the Kuwait City from that they had cleared. So that was a little nerve-wracking. So we got to Kuwait, and we were there just a few days. We had offloaded all of our equipment for this joint exercise. And not too long after we got there, there was an incident down in Somalia where a group of, I want to say Pakistanis, had been ambushed by the Somalis and been massacred. And they and said, so okay, you got to go back down there, and you know things are starting to heat up. So we loaded all the stuff back on the ship. And one of the interesting stories to me that happened while we were briefly in Kuwait is I, I was ashore with helping get some supplies and this guy that we were coordinating with the Kuwaiti he was actually a member of their media it was kind of I'm not sure how he was involved but he had been part of the Kuwaiti resistance during the Iraqi occupation and he drove us around and you know was showing us all the sites if you will of you know what the Iraqis had done while there because you really don't hear too much about what happened to the Kuwaitis during the occupation you just you know we only know about successful ejection of the Iraqis. Anyway, we get back to their kind of media headquarters, if you will, and he had these posters that he wanted us to take back to the ship. He was very insistent about it. So he unrolls one of them, and it's got 16 pictures of torture victims, that the, of Kuwaitis who had been tortured by the Iraqis. Some of them, it's quite graphic. Hmm. And you know, he was saying, you know, people don't know about this that you know what was done to us and he was you know he wanted that that message to get out if you will you know they had a lot of anger you know of course you know about what had happened to them so that was that was very had a big impact on me because you know we got back home but you know later on you know people were talking about Saddam Hussein or you know just as like kind of background noise to a lot of people when you have an opportunity to have met people or see these pictures, it's like, wow, that guy really was a monster. Uh, the stuff he did to the these Kuwaitis just in the six months, it was horrific. Uh, anyway, went back to Somalia. We were there probably another month. Um, and then we left, came home. We, stopped, we actually got to stop a few fun places on the way home. That was uh, a nice break. Because uh, at one point we had spent 69 days at sea. And one thing, this is a little interesting factoid as well, you probably didn't know. So in the United States Navy, they don't allow alcohol. I think we're one of the few navies in the world that does not allow drinking on the ship. However, there's two exceptions to that rule. One is if a foreign navy throws up an event, and this would normally be the officers, like one ward room throws a party, like if the British threw an event for an American ward room, you could reciprocate. The only other exception to the no drinking rule on a ship was if you've been at sea for at least 45 straight days, you got two beers. <laughs> and that was a big deal because I can vividly remember it where they, because they've got alcohol on the ship, you just can't drink it. They brought this beer out of the, the dark, deep recesses of the ship and they had the whole ship's crew, you know, manifest, not manifest, but the, you know, list of the crew members. And so when it was your turn, you were in this line. I mean, officers and enlisted alike, you know, just by alphabetic order, you'd go up, they'd hand you your two beers, but you had to open the beer in front of them, in front of the people that were running it. And the reason for that was they didn't want a black market and beer to develop. Because <laughs> some people, maybe they don't drink, and they would sell it to somebody who did. And so you could imagine that could spin out of control. Uh, but I've still got pictures of you know me and my my beer. I think it was like Budweiser, or, you know, some kind of. Well, was it really beer or near beer? No, it was real beer. I it, I vividly remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> um, so had that. That was an interesting event. Uh, you know, it was kind of fun, if you will. And then the other interesting event that happened was we did what's called a crossing the line ceremony, which is goes back hundreds, maybe thousands of years. And crossing the line means you go over the equator. And on the East Coast, not many ships at the time had been over the equator because normally our operations would have been limited to the Mediterranean. And the West Coast guys were handling the Persian Gulf. But this was a 
I guess, an unusual circumstance. So we ended up getting to go south of the equator. So they've got this ceremony where the people who have already gone over the equator, they're known as shellbacks. And they're the ones who get to kind of run the initiation process. And if you've not been over the equator, you're known as a polywalk. And they've got this elaborate ceremony where I can't, I'm probably not supposed to share any of the details, but let's just say that the the day of the, the initiation, uh, there's a lot of, I don't know what it's like now, but uh, so let's just call some physical uh, abuse is a strong word, but uh, <laughs> I had a lot of fun at uh, Polywog's expense. And this went on literally all day. And then after the ceremony, you know, then you're then you're a shell back. And it's a pretty big deal because they actually put it in your service record. Hmm. Like there's this certificate because, you know, you can't participate in a future ceremony as a shell back unless you've got proof of it in your service record. Wow. And, I mean, I've got my shell back certificate framed and in my office at work. And the only other things I got in my office at work on the wall are my two diplomas. So that's like... And the, my buddy, who's the city manager here, Brian Johnson, he's got his framed in his office. So, point being, it's actually a pretty big deal for the people that have, have uh, survived it, I guess you could say. Huh. Um, anyway, come so, on. Sort of like a fraternity initiation, huh? It is. It's, it's condensed, though, into basically 24 hours. And it's voluntary. You don't have to do it. But I think on our ship, there might have been two dudes who didn't do it. Uh, Almost everyone does it. It's been good fun, but I mean, you, like I said, there's some. It's not easy. You, you get abused a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and I, I would be interested to see what's become of it. I'm sure they still have it, but I suspect it's kind of watered. Yeah. I tell down you, a we're, bit. we're gonna. I need to stop you and take another break. And uh, all right, we'll be back with Alex. And uh, the second half, we're gonna start talking about Peachtree Corners, and uh, we'll be back right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, then the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised to right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. And we're back on David's Pick with our guest, Alex Wright, today. Uh, And before I go on, I want to remind everybody, always, whenever you're listening to America's Web Radio, have a pencil and paper handy or whatever you write with, whatever pen, whatever. But there's always information that it's just incredible. I I seldom do a show that... uh, I don't write down some notes and have found out something that I didn't know. And there's a lot that I don't know, but uh, it's always interesting. The shows bring about uh, different points. And I want to remind everybody, too, you can catch our podcast on iTunes or on uh, Facebook. And... uh, we prefer that you go to Facebook or iTunes or uh, most any of them, uh, with the exception of one. And uh, quite frankly, uh, we're living in a different country, different world today. And uh, censorship is now more and more daily. 
and uh, we want to avoid any of the high tech that is censoring any of our shows. We don't do or say anything that shouldn't be done or said, and uh, we disagree highly with some of uh, our big tech boys that think that they uh, they know more than not Georgia Tech or Texas Tech, but just high tech people that think they know more than our experts do. And uh, I can assure you they've probably never been there or never done that. So uh, just be careful of any of these organizations that think they know more than, than they really do. So back to our guest. And as we, we've gotten Alex's uh, naval history uh, presented to us, and now I want to talk more about what's coming up. And what's coming up is... This coming Monday is Memorial Day, and many people get Memorial Day and Veterans Day and just mixed up and confused and not sure what it's all about. Well, it's about, Memorial Day is about memorializing those that have raised their right hand, have kept our country free, and not for censorship, by the way, but have kept our country free and have given the ultimate. They signed the check that they would, if called upon, they would give their ultimate. And they've died in on active duty, or they've died after coming back from active duty. And we like to memorialize them. And Veterans Day is exactly that. That's for the living. But Memorial Day is for those that have given the ultimate sacrifice. And if you have a friend or family member that has died from his his or her service and we always we don't ever want to leave out the wives and that's whether they actually or the women I should say whether they actually served or if their husband served and they were deployed just as well as the husband was uh, any spouse while the other is deployed is serving and taking care of the home taking care of the family and we always salute them so back to alex and uh alex is not only a veteran but he's also a city councilman in peachtree corners georgia which is a city that's northeast of atlanta beautiful city beautiful uh foliage around the area and uh, they also have a monument to Vietnam veterans. Uh, Alex, you want to tell us a little bit about the history of what Peachtree City has done and what you all have planned for Monday? No, absolutely. So, yeah, we have a, a, a veterans monument on our town green that uh, we actually just opened a couple of years ago. This is a relatively new, beautiful facility. Uh, have six statues to you know, the four primary services, and then the Coast Guard. Then we've also got one for reserves. Um, Scott, uh, I think I mentioned this on the when you had me on last time. One of the things that makes it unique is the people can buy a brick, you know, with the name of a veteran on it, and we give the each veteran opportunity to have a video made either about themselves or about. You know, the, if someone's passed away, you can make the video about the person. And the idea there is to keep the person alive in the sense of their story. It just doesn't become a name on a brick. People are like, oh, this you know, doesn't mean anything to them. That, that video can bring them to life. And there's a way, there's an interactive component at the monument where you can, can see these videos or, I mean, you can view them online from the comfort of your home as well. Uh, so anyway, this coming Monday, as you mentioned, it's Memorial Day, and we have an event every Memorial Day, every Veterans Day, and we just recently started adding uh, a 9-11 ceremony as well. But this Monday, uh, so kind of the schedule of events, if you will, we have at the monument at sunrise, we have uh, a group that goes out there to lower the flags at you know, I think it's like 627 of a bugler there. So that event takes place. And then later in the day at 
1130, we have an event right there at the monument, which is on the green. So the chairs are set up on the green, and we'll have patriotic music, speaker, uh, normally a couple of speakers. I think the mayor has given some opening remarks, and then there's a gentleman who kind of was the, the life force of bringing this the monument to life is uh, Bob Bala, retired colonel, lives here in the area. He's going to be the primary speaker, and his speech is actually, uh, I was talking to him the other day, there was uh, a lady who's a gold star mother, and he's going to be speaking about her and her son, who I don't know all the details of the, of the story, but I believe was killed in Iraq. Um, I can't remember what year. So it's really, you know, instead of her getting up and speaking, which would be incredibly difficult, he's going to be kind of speaking for her, if you will, about her son. So that's going to be the primary uh, speaker uh, for this event. Um, and one other, this isn't directly related to the, the Veterans uh, Monument, but it's, it's kind of a, a side event. Is also that morning, and this happened all over the country. There's going to be an event called the Murph, which is uh, if you've ever seen the movie Lone Survivor, uh, had uh, it was about a, a mission in Afghanistan in the, around 2005 that went that didn't work out, and the SEAL team, everyone on it was killed except this one guy, Marcus Luttrell, who survived. But one of the guys on the SEAL team was uh, Lieutenant Michael Murphy. And this this workout is something he used to do, I guess, when he was deployed. And so all across the country, this movement uh, picked up where the morning of Memorial Day, people would get together across the country, and they would do the same workout that he did. And this is to honor not just him, but you know, everyone that's, as you said, you know, made the ultimate sacrifice. So I think that's kind of a neat thing. They're going to be having that uh, at the town green right after the the flag raising like i said it happens all over the country so i think that's neat because a lot of people who come to that these events don't know you know that story or really much about memorial day so it's really a an educational opportunity you know for folks who you know myself i I know a little bit about memorial day and can can share that so that's uh an additional thing we'll have uh, going on you know i can't help but think and i've said this a number of times on uh, various shows but uh and you can certainly express yourself on this alex uh all across the country there will be color guards and i i still get chill bumps when i see a a good color guard and and um working in sync and whatever they happen for whatever reason they're they're there and uh, I don't know I there's just something about a color guard that, that gets me would you oh, I, I agree uh, I, I'm the same way with uh, like when I play taps I mean anytime you know play that it's like you can't help but get a little bit you know choked up you know, the imagery that you know that goes with it um i mean this this is there's an event at the national mall which i know is obviously not peachtree corners but that i would encourage people to watch that comes on pbs on sunday night at say eight o'clock uh, they do it every year and the the the, the show really is a series of stories they have famous actors that will uh, kind of portray the the people in the story, and a lot of times these people are actually still alive. But they, these incredible sacrifices that they've made, uh, just really incredibly moving, uh, and, and that actually was the impetus of you know why we wanted our monument to have that that interactive you know, story part. Uh, that was, when I saw that we we got to we got to do something like that. I would encourage people to watch that. It's really well done. You've got great music, and the, like I said, the stories are, I mean, you can't help but start crying when you when you, you know, hear about uh, what these people, uh, you know, did for the country. You know, this is, uh, and 
we were talking about it uh, earlier today that um, there's no organization like the military, and it doesn't matter which branch. And we encourage, we always encourage our graduating high school seniors or college graduates that haven't quite decided what they want to do with their lives, but they have an interest. It may be electronics. It may be who knows what it happens to be. But I've made this statement many times. I guarantee that one branch, some branch of the military has exactly what you're looking for and will put a spot on your resume that nobody else can can fill. It's the the military is just it's a great business. It's a great opportunity. It's a great teacher. There's just nothing bad about the military and you will be joining the biggest organization in the world and the best. And I am I have a son that's a major in the Air Force that I'm so very proud of. And, you know, it's, it's just something. And, and I get sick at the thought that only one, less than 1% of our country ever serves. That's just terrible. And the country has done so much for us. We owe it to our country to do something for for our country and for freedom is not free and it takes a lot of folks to make sure we stay free so i've i've been on my soapbox alex <laughs> no i totally uh totally agree that is you know the stat you were just giving about the one percent if you think about i've written something about members of congress that have served in the military and they were doing a compare and contrast with the prior generations I mean, obviously, it's a wide age spectrum in Congress, but you know, they were comparing, say, in the immediate aftermath of World War II or the decades after that, you know, such a high percentage of the population that served. And obviously, that was a different you know, circumstance because we truly were in a huge war. But you know, the, the people who you know volunteer, I, I, you know, I think in a lot of cases, it's just not on people's. You know, radar screen. To your point, they don't necessarily realize the you know, some of the benefits. And I mean, I even as at my age, I look back and think I, I'm, I'm more appreciative as I get older uh, about having served. You know, right after I got out, I didn't really think too much about it because you know, you're trying to make your way through life. But you know, as I've, I've gotten older, and I'm thinking, you know, that that wisdom or that that knowledge, you know, that came from. You know that experience. Uh, you know, in the military, like I'll give you one. This seems kind of benign, but it can manifest itself in a lot of ways. Where I was walking across the deck on a on the ship one day, and there was a piece of trash on the deck, and I didn't pick it up. I just I was in a hurry to go somewhere. I didn't pick it up. Later that day, a captain called me aside, and I guess he was on the bridge and saw this happen. He took me aside and said. You know, you walk right past that piece of trash, why didn't you pick it up? I, I didn't have a good answer. It's like, there's no excuse. And he pointed out that, you know, you're a leader on the ship. You know, if you don't, if you don't do that, if you don't show that attention to detail, how can you possibly lead people? You know, that was almost 30 years ago, and I still vividly remember that. It really made an impression on me. That didn't, you don't necessarily learn that just because it's in the military, but there were a lot of little things like that, you know, like attention to detail that, uh, you know that that can, the way that can manifest itself in so many other aspects of your life to help you be successful. Um, so to this day, now when I'm walking around, I see a piece of trash. Like I instinctively pick it up because was that time he, you know, kind of called me out. Like, hey, you know, if you're if you're not going to be the one, you know, who is? Mm-hmm. So again, a, a simple story, but uh, you know, big impacts uh, can impact your life. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, the verse in the uh, in the Bible: "If not me, then who?" And uh, that's right. It's uh, you know, I think, and I, I kick myself frequently that I didn't one, I didn't go to OCS, and I two, I didn't stay in the military, and uh, I, I, 
I wish they'd take me at my tender age now, but they just laugh. But right. you know, it's uh, I, I guess, and and the military is a basically a young young person's game. You can't. There are some things in the military you just can't do at an old age. But by golly, I can still type if they needed me. But you know, it, it's. Uh, I I respect the military more and more almost daily in that, you know, they've been working on perfection now for, what, 240 years in in our country, and, you know, they got it. There's a reason for almost everything in the military, and just like your uh, your captain said, um, if you don't pick up the trash, then who's going to do it? And you're expecting respect from your men and that's how you gain it and you know there's just so many lessons that the military will it, it doesn't matter what branch it is you you learn these lessons anyway and uh, they've been practicing how to how to turn boys into men and i guess girls into ladies or something but you know it it's there's something for everyone, and there's a reason for everything that they do, and they've been practicing it for years. And I, I bet it ha- helps you day in and day out as a city councilman. I would agree with that. It, uh, it, it definitely gives you, as I've gotten older, it gives you perspective on what's important and what's not important what's what's worthy of getting upset about and what's what's not because you've you know, if you've been in a situation you know especially being de- if you've ever been in kind of deployment in any of the services where you know a lot of things are kind of taken away from you if you will that you take you take for granted sleep you know <laughs> uh the opposite sex alcohol you know whatever like these things you don't really even think about um for a long period of time and then because that that definitely helps me in life where I'm like, you know what, this is, let's say you're in a stressful job, you know, like your boss or whatever, you just, you could just quit if you wanted to, right? You've, you've got this, you've got all this freedom that you don't even realize. You know, I, I tell people who work for me that, like, hey, you, can, you get to go home tonight. You get to go home and see your spouse. You can grab a beer. You can go watch TV. All these little things uh, that you, you, you just take for granted. So that, that really helps me not get... It, it takes a lot to get me upset. You know, I'm pretty uh, even killed, and I think most of that is from you know that experience of just because you had to learn that mental discipline of hey, there's you know you're on the ship, there's no escape. You just have to deal with it uh, to endure it. Give you a lot of mental endurance, a lot of mental discipline that I would have never gotten that if I just gone right out of school into you know just a regular job like. Because those jobs aren't really meant to, you know, they're not there to do that. They're there to, you know, make money, which is great. But you know, it, it does give you uh, a skill set that it would be much more difficult to get somewhere else. Well, you know, as we mentioned many times, the the HR person that's looking at your resume and sees that you're a veteran, they know immediately that you have skills that a lot of other folks don't have. One is leadership skills, one is endurance skills, and one is that uh, you know how to take orders and fulfill your obligation. And um, that that puts you a lot of steps ahead of the person that never served. No matter how good their grades were or anything else, there's still the Americanism and the person that does serve and is willing, you know, those HR people know what's in in the oath that we all take, and um, you, you've you've signed the check to give your life for your country, and they uh, the HR people appreciate that, and you will too. So that's why we uh, <laughs> that's why we feel the way we feel about. Uh, the military and um, you know the 
how people look at us and how people look at the military. And thank goodness that's changed, and we know that we have the best. And right this moment, if the best were called upon, they'll be the first ones there. And I I talk about this, too, with, with the fact that we honor our first responders. Well, that's what the United States is. It's a first responder. We're the first any place when somebody calls or has a need and whether it's covering a wreck or covering a war or Kuwait or whatever the situation is the world knows that they can count on the United States and I think that's a big responsibility those are all great points absolutely well we uh we love what you all are doing in Peachtree Corners, and uh, tell us how to get there and uh, the time of the ceremonies this this coming weekend and Monday. All right, uh, if you're if you're looking at a map of Atlanta, like as you pointed out, we're to the northeast, and there's a you know there's a perimeter around Atlanta, an interstate. So if you're coming from uh, downtown, you would take uh, 85 north. Until you got to the perimeter, get on the perimeter, and then you'd go uh, the Georgia 141 north for about seven or eight miles until you got right into Peachtree Corners. And we we just built this new bridge over 141, this uh, kind of iconic looking uh, arch bridge. It says Peachtree Corners on it. There's no doubt you will know where you what you are when you see it. <laughs> and the the town center is right there. Um, to the right and you go in there and you park there's plenty of parking and the green is kind of back off the it's kind of in the in the middle of the town center uh, about a two acre green area and once you get there you can't you know you can't miss where the monument is because there's three flags and uh, it's on the far side it's you'd have to be blind to miss it so it's it's right there and like I was mentioned earlier, the ceremony is at 11.30. They're going to have music starting at 11.15. It probably last 45 minutes to an hour. There will be seating. I think they're going to have a couple hundred seats. Um, and I think the weather's actually supposed to be pretty nice. Uh, this cool front's moving through, and I think it's supposed to be a high of like 75 maybe. So we're actually really nice weather because it probably mm-hmm. wouldn't even be 75 at that point. So we get a little nice break from our normal uh, hot, humid uh, late May weather. Uh, so, if you got nothing going on, I'd, you know, if you're in the area, I'd encourage you to come out. It's, it's always very well done, and there'll be a color guard, music, uh, be a speech about a gold star mom and her you know, son that's passed away. Uh, I'm actually very interested to hear the story, because uh, I just know a little bit about it, so it will be probably Bob's a really good speaker, so I suspect it'll be a moving uh, speech. And that's like, of course, we got the the flag lowering in the morning, but I doubt anyone's going to come out for that. It's just a few minutes, but yeah, eleven thirty to about twelve thirty. Wow! And I, I would assume the music is all going to be patriotic. Absolutely. Good. Uh, normally, we have a, a a live band there. But I think this time, because school's out, nobody one of the local school bands come. But I think because the school literally just got out, I think, yesterday. Um, I think they're just going to have recorded music this time. They were going to probably have trouble assembling people who wanted to do that right after they got out of school. But, yeah, it's, it'll all be patriotic, absolutely. That's super. And uh, my best to your mayor, Mike Mason. Um, and all of the city councilmen and you you all should be very proud of yourself and i want to just mention and i'm not trying to take anything away from peachtree corners but there'll be a a ceremony i believe a ceremony at uh in john's creek at the wall at hills which is a replica of the uh, vietnam veteran wall in washington dc it's a half size that toured the country and there's just all sorts of celebrations around the state, and uh, we wish everybody a very safe weekend, a very safe Monday, a very a, a very thoughtful Monday. That's if I could say anything that 
that I would like to see out of this Memorial Day and all Memorial Days, but is just thoughtfulness of the people. It's not just an opportunity to go to the beach or have a hot dog or cook out or what. It is, and it's good. But within that period of time, just take a little time to think about it might be a friend, it might be a relative, or it doesn't matter whether you know anybody that's been in the service, but just take a few moments and just think about how great our country is and how great our military has always been. And in my opinion, and I really don't have room to speak, but in my opinion, those that have served on active duty and raised their hand, they're our heroes. And that can be said for first responders as well. They're our heroes. And, uh, you know, we had two young ladies that were police officers uh, recently shot here in Atlanta. And that's just, that's, we can't have that, folks. They are willing to give their lives for you, and you've got to be willing to support them. So, we, uh, we've had another good moment, and we're going to have to put the plug in the jug, I'm afraid. Alex, i got to get out of here. I'll let time slip away from me. So, we'll talk to you real soon. Will you come back? Absolutely. I always enjoy uh, spending time with you. Thank you, sir. We will talk to you later. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.